Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. So last week, we began setting the stage of these few weeks that are leading up to Advent, which begins in December. The graphic that we are using during this sermon series on the front of your worship folder comes from the modern iconographer, I cannot say that word right now, iconographer, iconographer, uh, Scott Erickson. And this is entitled, The Commissioning of Peter. Because this is playing into the theme that we are focusing on these weeks, which is the fact that like Peter, we have been entrusted to carry on the work of the kingdom. This has been God's plan all along from the first sentences of the Bible where we receive our initial commission, our initial vocation, which is to care for and tend for the earth and all creation in it, including animals and and one another, mankind. But that commission moves on throughout scripture. The whole purpose of God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was to give them land and to give them descendants, bless them with descendants, so that they could be the instruments of God's generosity to the nations around them. In other words, God's plan, the initial version of the gospel was to be lived out through Abraham, Isaac, and their descendants. We have been entrusted to do this work as well. The work of heaven to care for and to tend all creation and all people in it. But scripture and history show that we haven't always been that great at that job. (laughs) We haven't always done the best in this vocation, in in this uh, entrusting that the Lord has shared with us. But rather than give up on the whole plan, God honors his covenants and yet again dwells among us in Christ with words and actions saturated with hope and with love and yet at times sharp with warnings (laughs) intended to redirect our tendencies back into alignment with God's heart, his mercy, his love, and his justice. And our passage today is one of these warnings. We don't always love these, but I think there's a really good word in this for us. Before we open the passage, let us pray. Lord, by your spirit, O God, still our restless spirits and open our ears. Let us hear your word that it may be at work within us for the sake of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, months, years after Jesus has been among the people teaching and preaching, this is months after the Sermon on the Mount, this is time that people have seen the way of Jesus and seen it working, Jesus shares these words from Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach, follow it, but do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. 
They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their cleats broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. You are all brothers and sisters. And call no one your father on earth, for you have but one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, this is one of those passages in scripture that kind of make us a little uncomfortable, a little squirmy in our seats. (laughs) But it's also a bit because we're kind of trying to work out who, who are we in this passage? Who is Jesus talking to? You know, it reminds me of one of the passages of one of my favorite books where it says, my dear people, Bilbo said, rising in his place. Hear, 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 shouted all the people. And they went on shouting it and repeating hear, 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 seemingly reluctant to follow their own advice. My dear Bagginses and Boffins, he began again. My dear Tooks and Brandy Books, Grubs, Chubs and Burroughses, Hornblowers, Bulgers, Brace Girdles, Good Bodies, Brockhouses and Proudfoots. Thank you, Jay. I knew I could count on you. (laughs) I have called you here for a purpose. First of all, to tell you that I am immensely fond of all of you and that 111 years is too short of a time to have lived among such excellent and admirable hobbits. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. This was difficult. They, well, there was some scattered applause, but most were trying to work out whether it was, came out to be a compliment or not. And of course, that was Bilbo speaking at his birthday party from the Lord of the Rings. And like Bilbo's veiled compliment, or perhaps his indictment, it can be hard to work out what Jesus is trying to say in this passage. Especially when we're so far removed from these events in time and history, and it's hard for us to understand the Pharisees and the scribes and the place they played in the system in which the Jews found themselves in. So I thought it might be helpful to clarify. First, here's what Jesus is not saying. This is what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that Judaism or the Torah, the Mosaic law, that he's not saying those are bad. Nor is he saying that the scribes and the Pharisees are charlatans who have grabbed authority that didn't belong to them. As a matter of fact, the passage opens by recognizing the authority that the scribes and the Pharisees have. It says that they they sit on Moses' seat. So Jesus is affirming the role and the authority that these folks have. They are teachers and interpreters of the law in the line of Moses the original lawgiver, and they are due deference and respect in religious matters. 
After all, Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? So in this passage, our author, Matthew, uh, labors to show Jesus' reverence for the community of Judaism. The problem is not with the religious tradition or the teachings or the leaders. After all, in verse 3, Jesus commands to everyone to do what they teach and to follow it. But what is Jesus saying? What Jesus is saying that we run into problems when we misuse the authority that's granted to us. We run into problems when we misuse authority. The misuse of authority has led to pride, which has resulted in one of these words that we hope is never placed upon us, but the word of hypocrisy, which brings Jesus' condemnation to the front. They speak, but do not do, and they do in order to receive praise. Throughout the book of Matthew, these scribes and Pharisees have been on the wrong end of some nasty accusations. They preach, but do not practice. They lay up unjust burdens on people. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They love to be seen, to be celebrated, to be pampered, to be acknowledged for a piety that is all show, having little to do with the nature of their hearts, nor the character and the nature of God. This has earned them the name of hypocrite. In other passages in Matthew, Jesus vehemently chastises these Pharisees with words like blind guides, whitewashed tombs, snakes, brood of vipers. Jesus' most kind of nasty <laughs> accusations are held for the people who were in religious leadership and religious authority. We should carry that tenderly and, and um, carefully. No one wants to be on the other end of these accusations. So today, around the world, this is our lectionary passage. So around the world, churches are likely preaching sermons, prophetic sermons aimed at those hypocrites out there <laughs> in politics, in society, in some corners of the Christian church. Many people are hearing these kind of sermons. And while there is certainly plenty of justification for taking that track with this passage, it didn't sit right with me today. And so I wondered if there might be a more personal invitation in hearing these words of Jesus. In many ways, these Pharisees serve as like exaggerated caricatures of the very same dilemmas that you and I face. The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach and follow it, but do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. Now, Jew Jewish teachers at the time, especially the Pharisees, were known to be experts of the law. They know every rule of the Mosaic law, all of those Leviticus laws that we looked at last week. Every nuance, they knew these by heart and they could describe them in great detail, all the things that others were and were not doing according to the law. But Jesus is pointing out that while they know all the rules, somehow they've missed his heart in providing them. 
You know, we speak about this all the time. We speak about the heart of God's love, the heart of God's kingdom. But the things that we say, the things that we do or don't do, if they don't line up with this love, with this heart, this mercy, this justice of the kingdom, then we run the danger of being in the very uncomfortable position that these Pharisees found themselves in. So I found myself considering how might I, in one way or another, be guilty of these very warnings that we hear in this passage. Do my actions, do our actions, especially in the small private moments, perhaps when no one else is around to see, do they match our proclamations? I had a memory this week, and I don't know if it was caused by the connection with Halloween, but I distinctly remember Kids, Eleanor and Ian, I'm sorry. I distinctly remember times in which I was telling you, don't eat all the candy you want. Candy is great. Let's savor it. Let's enjoy it. But let's, you know, hold ourselves back. And then, of course, we have bath time and we brush the teeth and we read stories and you guys are in bed. And what do I do? I pound half a thing of Oreos <laughs> or half a bag of chips, right? I'm sorry. Do we practice what we preach? You know, that's a silly example, but it's maybe not so silly. What is the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind? How might we be invited to bring our behaviors and actions, our motivations, even more into alignment with the truth, the health, the love, the compassion, and justice of God's kingdom? Do we say one thing but believe another? I'm sorry, do we believe and say one thing but find ourselves doing and behaving in a different way? In public, in private, do we profess to know better but fail to behave appropriately? You know, Jesus' warnings here, they're not just, uh, it, you know, the Jesus... The warning that Jesus has is to watch what we do, but the warning is not just in what we do. It also extends to how we lead and how we guide those entrusted to us. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. You know, perhaps visions of the depraved authoritarian of a household may come to mind. The overbearing tyrant who rules the house through threat and fear. Some of us have experienced this firsthand. Perhaps living in a household like this. Or perhaps being in a work environment like this. You know, this seems extreme for some of us. Far away for others. But what might a humble introspection on the small ways in which we hold power over others revealed to us. You know, most often this hits close to home. Most often this happens with our spouse, with our kids. You know, if you're in the workplace, perhaps it happens in the workplace. Are we humbly co-laboring in life? With one another? Or do we place unreasonable, impossible burdens, perhaps weights, on others' shoulders? 
You know, clearly, this does not mean that we can't and we shouldn't lead, counsel, guide, or even discipline others, especially those who we have that authority in their lives. But in our leadership of all kinds, are we embracing the invitation to servant leadership described here? The greatest among you will be your servant. All who humble themselves, will, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Are we moving from a mindset of rights and entitlements in life to a position of humility and obedience and responsibility for one another? They do their deeds to be seen by others. They make their pharacletes broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues, to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. What is a paraclete? I hear Pat thinking. <laughs> what is a paraclete? Well, paraclete. Well, last week we talked about the Shema, this, this little passage of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. You know, this, this passage. And how these scriptures were written on pieces of paper and folded up and put in tiny scrolls and put on the doorposts of your home. A pharaclete is a leather band with an attached scroll case that could be worn on your head or on your arm. So imagine like this armband with a scroll case on it with prayers inside. That's what Jesus is talking about. Like, it's almost humorous to think about these guys walking around with these giant scroll cases on their arms with their passages of scripture. In other words, look how holy I am. Their prayer tassels on the ends of their tunics are long. I imagine them being exaggeratedly long. You know, this is the opposite of the humility that God calls us to be, that God calls us to exercise in our lives. And this pride that's being depicted here, you know, seeking honor and unwilling to live humbly as they lead and guide the people faithfully, this is what has resulted in the term hypocrite. But to understand the hypocritic heart, we must fathom what powers this insatiable human need that we have for approval from others. That's really what's demonstrated here, that these folks are so seeking human approval that they go out of their way to do these things. This desire, this greed, this need for human approval is at the root of the hypocritic heart. In your testimonies, I heard many of you speak on how God has released you from that need of human approval. All throughout scripture, we have this tendency to seek approval from others, but it's warned against all throughout scripture. Matthew chapter six has some of the clearest examples. The hypocrites in this passage have traded God's quiet approval for the praise of others. Matthew 6 verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. A few verses later, but when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you go to pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your father who is in secret 
And your father who sees in secret will reward you. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may, may be seen not by others, but only by the father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward. Seemingly, it's possible for us to lack confidence in God's love and grace in our lives. And when we do this, we hypocrites find ourselves making masks, making pharacletes, making long tassels, so that we can broadcast our, pri our piety in order to win human approval and divine acceptance. Certainly, we don't start off with this malformed motivation, but we all have this tendency. And so it needs to be something that we're aware of. That's what I was kind of feeling this week. So what's the fix? What's the fix if you find yourself somehow in some ways, small or large, dealing with these issues? The antidote to hypocrisy, as seen in our passage, appears to be humility and grace that comes from God. The grace of God may seem kind of out of place in this passage. It's just all about uh, these Pharisees, these hypocrites. But perhaps connecting grace to this passage on servant leadership is the best, most appropriate thing we can do this morning. Perhaps the best antidote to the motivations which might tempt us into hypocrisy is to hear in our passage today the rest that can be, that can be uh, received through acceptance and forgiveness in Christ. For indeed, God forgives us without question and without pretense. We see even after his resurrection, Jesus forgives Peter for his denials. The same Peter who just a few verses later is entrusted with the work. Jesus also forgives the cowardice of his disciples and he entrusts them with carrying on the work that has begun. To love, to tend, and to care for all creation and all mankind which finds home within it. Jesus keeps loving and forgiving us despite our failings and our blemishes. And so for us mask makers, for us pharaclete makers and tassel weavers, Jesus comes simply wanting to see us for who we really are. Desperate for peace and acceptance. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. Can you feel your soul relax under that invitation? Come to me and I will give you rest. Can we embrace the call to serve others in humility and integrity? Sometimes this means setting aside our own preferences. Sometimes this means setting, us setting aside our own temperaments, perhaps, or even our way of doing things because we know that the, our way of doing things kind of rubs that person a little bit wrong. <laughs> Sometimes it calls for that. Yes, we might tend towards hypocrisy when we seek approval in the wrong places, in our doing, in our leading from time to time, but may we not live there. May we not stay there. Rather, may we find solace and identity in Christ, not the approval of others. May we seek to serve rather than to be served. I ran across 
an opinion article from the Wall Street Journal this week, kind of associated to this, associated to this theme. It said, a task once considered beneath you could actually be the key to your success. Do the job that nobody wants because, believe it or not, somebody appreciates it. Volunteer to learn and to provide value to others. Find, a, find your dream job by first doing the rote tasks in that field without complaint. Pick up your mop. <laughs> the author was not simply arguing that hard work always leads to success, especially when it's work of a lowly nature, but rather something shifts in our minds, something shifts in our hearts in our spirits when we take up the role of the servant. When we set aside our preferences, our indulgences, our honor, and just mop the floor, whatever that means for you, we not only recondition our spirits with simple satisfactions, but we actually begin to feel the assurance and the acceptance that we so desperately crave through serving and pleasing others. As we turn our face to others, we find ourselves facing God. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partners of Christ, if only we hold our first confidence firm to the end. You know, because sin does tend to alienate us from others. It isolates us from others, but also from God. So we need to actively seek out opportunities to enact the service in the community to participate in this meaningful work, this beauty of life with one another. And while the world does remain, at least for a time, a fallen place, and oftentimes cruel things happen, those who serve humbly, who lead gracefully, they tend to experience the heavenly peace that Jesus describes so often throughout Scripture. So whether we consider passages like these today, you know, when we consider passages like these today, we realize not for the first or the last time, that we are indeed called to follow Jesus himself, who issued these very words, not from a great, glorious throne of stone, but on a gravel road that led to a cross, to his death. On such a journey, of servant leadership. There's no room for inflated baggage of pride or hypocrisy. We do our best to follow the way of Jesus. We've been promised that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So can we lay down our heavy burdens? Our desires to seek approval from man and find that approval in God. Can we follow in the footsteps of Christ? 
And as we close, I think it's appropriate to shift gears a little bit because I think it is appropriate to acknowledge in our closing that many of us might have baggage or wounds from the more on-the-surface approach to this passage. In other words, you may have scars and wounds that you still carry because you were in a church, you were in some sort of movement, you had wounds in your family by people who did not lead well. At the very least, we might share in the lament of others who have definitely experienced these kinds of things. The lament of heaven when corruption or sin, especially in the church, have been brought from the darkness into the light of public awareness. We need to lament and mourn these injustices. The church has borne the weight and responsibility for plenty of scandal and pain and loss throughout the years. And you may have been on the receiving end of that. We've experienced these wounds, whether in our homes or in our workplaces or in our churches. Many of us have been subjugated to or hurt by others who should have known better. I'm sorry. We have many ways to respond to the message today. I invite you to consider the many prompts that have been in your worship notes. But I think it's appropriate before we come to the Lord's table to just hear a prayer. This is a prayer called a prayer for those who have been hurt by the church. Again, it comes from the book by Audrey Elledge and Elizabeth Moore. In closing, let me pray for us. O defender of shattered hearts, harm has been done in your name. And we are among those who have been wounded we bear our bruises, our bruised arms before you, battered by blows of deception, swollen by the sting of hypocrisy, smitten with anger and overwhelmed with confusion. We are disgusted by those who claim to do your work and yet enact such deeds. You say your church is meant to be your beloved bride your united body, but we have encountered divided hearts and mutilated limbs, a minefield of injuries rather than a hospital for the sick, individual empires rather than a sanctuary for your kingdom. How do we live in community with those who disguise corruption as devotion? How do we share the same faith with those who preach a gospel of love and yet live lives of deceit? How do we trust in your goodness when those who claim your name practice evil? We come before you broken, bewildered, lamenting that we, your imago Dei, do not always bear your image very well. May our fractured hearts not harden into bitterness, but be softened by tears of grief. For you are near to every heart that has been unfairly crushed, and you are no stranger to betrayal. How good and right it is to grieve what has been brought, what has brought us pain, to desire that wrongs be made right, injustice to be reversed, 
And yet we leave justice in your hand where it belongs. For you do not stand idly by, ignoring wickedness, nor do you let the guilty go unpunished. Teach us to discern between wolves in sheep's clothing and those who truly are controlled by your spirit. Who you help us, would you help us to forgive so that we may begin to heal? Would you soften our hearts and remind us of the beauty that is possible within your church? For we are recipients of your generous forgiveness and beneficiaries of your infinite mercy. Let us never think, O oh Lord, that we are better than another, even if they have harmed us. For we once owed you an immeasurable debt that has been canceled through Christ on the cross. So we pray, restore your church, O God, and do not abandon us. Have mercy upon us, your people, and lead us out of our idolatrous ways. Would your kindness bring us to repentance so that these wounds may be healed? Would you transform us from the inside out until we are true reflections of you? There has been so much devastation at the hands of your people, and we lift a cry of sorrow to you, O healer and redeemer. How we ache for the marriage supper of the Lamb when your bride will be purged of corruption and adorned with righteousness. When the purity of your ways will be written upon our hearts, when she will know that you to her core and be so utterly healed that she harms no longer. Amen. <laughs>